Woo! Morning, everybody. Uh, every year, the women's uh, fall forum just keeps getting better and better and better. So you'll want to be a part of that for sure. Uh, week three. We're in week three. Life is hard. God is good. I'm really excited about uh, this week, and I'll tell you about that in just a second. Um, the title of today's message is, When God Breaks the Rules. Now, can God actually break the rules? I mean, is that possible? Is that kind of like saying, you know, can God create a rock so big that he can't lift it? I mean, what, what's going on there? Can God actually break the rules? Well, here's the reason I'm excited about today, because we have been talking about the emotional aspects of suffering, pain, disappointment, hurt, going through the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is a full-on outpouring of emotion. Doesn't really get into history, doesn't really get into theology, it's just straight from the heart. But today, we're going to step outside of Lamentations and we're going to look at the history. And here's the reason I'm excited, because we're going to learn about how can we avoid suffering. That's a, that's a subject I'm really into. Like, how can I sidestep suffering? There's a verse in Proverbs that says, the wise see trouble coming and they get out of its way. That's what I would like to do and that's what I would like for you. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could minimize some of the suffering in our life? Are there are things we can do. Well, today we're gonna to take a look at that because this is, um, this is what uh, the history of the destruction of Jerusalem is really about in the books of Kings and Chronicles. Now, if today's your first time here, you might see we have a wall over here and one over there and one here and one back there. And you might be wondering, what's, what's the deal with that? And they look like there's little pieces of paper. If your eyes are good enough, you can see that over there. What's the deal? So Lamentations is about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem. The only thing that's left is the Western Wall. People come from all over the world to stand at that wall, to sit at that wall, to write prayers and to place it in the little, the wall is massive, little cracks in the rock, people come all over the world. So we recreated it and we have been putting our prayers in the wall and God's been doing some really special things. So that's up, that's what's up with the wall over here. Now, what if we could avoid suffering? Here I wanna tell you right from the beginning what you're gonna to need to do in order to avoid suffering from our story today, which is absolutely actually uh, Chronicles and Kings does such a great job of, of putting it out there for us. You're going to have to break some rules. If you want to avoid suffering, and we're going to talk about King Hezekiah today, then you're going to have to break some rules. So let's unpack this today. King Hezekiah, he's our guy. He's the greatest king of Judah, the greatest there had ever been. This is what it says about him in 2 Kings. He, speaking of Hezekiah, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Now, David wasn't his father. Ahaz was his father, but he's in the line. He's in the line of David. So that's why he calls David his father. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, and there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, Judah either before him or after him. Everybody, his leadership during the siege of Jerusalem. Now here's something that's really important. There were two sieges in Jerusalem. There was one under Hezekiah by the Assyrians where they avoided horrific suffering. There was another one 115 year, years later by the Babylonians in which 
they experienced tremendous suffering. That's what Lamentations is about. Now, here's the cool thing, or the very sad thing. King Hezekiah played a major role in helping them avoid the suffering, and he played the key role in getting them into the suffering. So he did both sides of it. But let's talk about all the good stuff he did, and then next week we'll get really, we'll get really with all the bad stuff. How's that sound? Okay. Uh, why is this history so important in Kings and Chronicles? Because it gives us a roadmap out of the mess in our lives. That's why it's so important. Now, if you're a Bible person, maybe some of us here in the room this morning say, you know, I'm a Bible person. I love the Bible. I love just to dig into that word. I just love it so much. Well, then you should be very excited about lamentations and all the stories about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple because it takes up so much territory in the Bible. Isaiah, it's all about it. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Lamentations, Kings, Chronicles. So you're like, man, hey, John, I'm a Bible person. I love the Bible. Well, you've got to understand what's going on with the destruction of Jerusalem because it just covers so much territory. So this is going to help us today. Now, you might be here today and you say, hey, John, uh, I'm not a Bible person. Not a Bible person at all. If our guy is King Hezekiah, I'm not really sure how to say his name, and I'm pretty sure I can't write it. Okay? So why do I care about this? All right, well, check this out. The event that we're going to cover today, the sidestepping of the destruction, is the most important event in the history of the world. Now, if somebody would have said that to me, if somebody was a pastor and they said it, or a theologian or a Bible person, I would have just shake my head and I'd say, man, come on now. You just need to take it easy. Slow down. But the person who said that actually was William McNeil, the highly regarded historian from the University of Chicago, highly decorated historian. And he says these words. He, uh, he participated in a book by famous historians called What If? And they get into all these things like, hey, what if Winston Churchill in 1920 in Manhattan wouldn't have been brushed by the cab, but the cab actually killed him? How would our world be different? Or what if the Americans hadn't stolen the codes before the Battle of Midway? How would our world be different? What is the first essay in the entire book? What does what if start with? What's the first essay by William McNeil? This story that we're going to talk about today. And let me just read it to you. This is pretty amazing to me. Jerusalem's preservation from attack by Sennacherib's army shaped the subsequent history of the world far more profoundly than any other military action I know of. In all probability, the people of Judah would have met the same fate if the Assyrian army had attacked and captured Jerusalem in 701 BC and treated its inhabitants as they had treated those of Samaria and other conquered places. If so, Judaism would have disappeared from the face of the earth and the two daughter religions of Christianity and Islam could not possibly have come into an existence. In short, everybody, our world would be profoundly different in ways that we cannot really imagine. Think about that for a second. What we're gonna talk about today by this famous historian, he says this is the event that has shaped our world more than anything else. The avoidance of the destruction. Well, let's just go through the story and let's focus on how do we avoid suffering in our life? How do we sidestep problems and pain? All right, let's go back in time just a little bit. You've got King David. Saul was the first king of Israel, but he did not 
He was not the king. He did not reign over everybody. Like Israel was this divided group of people, clans, tribes, however you want to call it. David was the first king, King David. He pulls everybody together. Now it's a united kingdom. When he dies, his son Solomon becomes the king. And now the kingdom is still united. And Solomon started out really well. And he builds this temple that is going to get destroyed next week. We'll talk about that. But at the end of a reign, he was terrible. I mean, he was a bad dude. He was selfish, really selfish. And as a result of that, at his death, the kingdom of Israel, it only made it two generations. It only made it for two kings. The kingdom of Israel breaks in two. Now, I want to show you a map. Let's look at map number one, Heather. Okay, so what you have is in this breaking in two is you got the northern kingdom, sometimes called the kingdom of Israel, and you got the southern kingdom, sometimes called Judah. This is where Hezekiah is down here. This thing just breaks into 10 tribes up here, two tribes down here, Judah and Benjamin, okay? And they, they're squabbling. They're fighting with each other. They're having skirmishes, skirmishes here and there. 200 years after Solomon... What the northern kingdom does is they decide to go over here to Aram and say, let's make an alliance and let's gang up on Judah and let's destroy them. Let's conquer them. So a lot of bad blood. Now, these people are brothers, north and south. They're brothers. Everything breaks out in a civil war. King Hezekiah's dad was now king Ahaz, A-H-A-Z. He decides, let's go to map number two. He decides this is what he's going to do. See, you got Israel down here, Judah, north, south, right? He decides he's going to come up over here to Assyria, and he's going to meet him in Damascus, the king of Assyria, and he's going to ask for an alliance so that he would protect him because he could not stand against the northern kingdom and Aram. So he, he has this alliance with him. He pays him tons of money. He meets him in Damascus, and while he's there, he sees this altar that the king of Assyria was using. He's like, man, I like that altar a lot. So he sends the, he, he draws it up, sends the stuff back to uh, Jerusalem, says, build this altar for me. Here's what Ahaz does. Bad guy, bad guy. How bad was he? Really bad. Uh, he killed his own kids. Not all of them, but he killed his own kids by putting them in the fire. He sacrificed his kids to the god Molech. He ran them into the fire and killed them. That's pretty bad. He closed up this incredible temple. Now, the temple in Jerusalem is really big. It's not like a, you know, some little small shop down the road, okay? It's massive. He closes it up. He closes the doors. He shuts it down. He shutters the place. It gets musty and dusty and the menorah goes out and you name it. Everything just goes bad. And then he puts up on the temple grounds this altar to this other god. And then he fills his palace with all this, okay? Well, this guy up here, Syria, they're an empire. Egypt has been really big, everybody. They're a superpower, but we, for the first time in history, have reached empire status. Assyria's reach is massive, okay? And so they're going to make this alliance, and so eventually this guy takes him a couple years to get going. He comes down in here, and he obliterates the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, this is what William McNeil, the historian, was talking about. When Assyria attacks a country... They don't let anything of its culture or its religion to stand. They obliterate it. In the, in the Bible world, we call it the lost tribes, the 10 lost tribes. This is it. This is when it happens. They're obliterated. They're no more. If that would have happened in Judah, Judaism would have been over because they would have obliterated. So that's why the thing we're talking about today is so important. So 
This guy up here, the king, comes down. He starts fighting and pushes back. And uh, okay, so we're, we're, safe, we're safe for a while. He obliterates this kingdom and some people stay and some people go and it's just a total absolute mess. For the next 10 years, um, Hezekiah becomes king. So his father Ahaz dies. Bad guy, really bad guy. He dies. King Hezekiah becomes the king. And man, he makes reforms. And this is what we want to focus on. The decisions that he makes is what helps them to avoid tremendous suffering. And in the midst of that, he breaks some really important rules. This is what we want to talk about today. All right, let's look at some of the things that King Hezekiah does, all right? Hezekiah comes in. He tears down the many altars to the foreign gods. Everybody, when I read this about foreign gods, you know, it just like, what? Foreign gods? It always makes me feel weird because we just don't talk that way. I mean... Do you go to your neighbor's house and say, hey, what gods are you worshiping today? I mean, we just kind of don't do that kind of stuff. But, but here's what really helps me. What they were worshiping were things like money, sex, and power, or those type of, the same things that we worship today, right? When, when you do stuff, when companies do things and take advantage of people and sweatshops, or they, they destroy the planet or whatever, right? That's it. That's a god. Okay, same thing. It's, we're still doing it, okay? So he tears down these altars for foreign gods. He reopens the doors to the temples that have been shuttered. Hezekiah covers the temple doors with gold. Like, not only are we open for business, but I want everybody to make sure you see these doors. They're covered in gold. Hezekiah fixes, he repairs, he restores what is broken in the temple. Hezekiah relights the menorah, this massive candelabra, right? Lights on, we're ready for business once again. Hezekiah gathers the religious leaders and political leaders to repent. When's the last time you saw that happen? We were in Washington, D.C. It's the last time you saw a bunch of people gather together both sides of the aisle and say, hey, let's just repent. Okay? He gathers them all together to repent. Hezekiah leads the city in songs of praise to God. Hezekiah makes the name of God a priority again. Hezekiah, and here's where we're slowing down. This is getting to the end. Really important, everybody. Hezekiah invites the kingdom of Judah's fierce and hated enemies from the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, to a Passover celebration. Now, everybody, the kingdom no longer exists. It's obliterated. But he invites the people who are just downtrodden. He invites them to come. And again, they are the hated enemies. And then Hezekiah leads the kingdoms of Judah and Israel in a genuine spiritual awakening. Now, here's what he decides to do. And by deciding to do this, he breaks all of his own personal rules. None of us wants to reach out to our hated enemies. That's not a natural thing for us to do. We don't walk around every day thinking, can I pray for the person that I just absolutely am disgusted by? How can I bless that person? So what he does is he breaks his own rule. He does something he doesn't want to do. And he he decides, I'm going to reach out to these bitter enemies that inflicted tremendous casualties upon us. And I'm going to invite them to come and celebrate the Passover. Now, everybody... The Passover had not been celebrated by all of Israel for over 200 years since the time King Solomon uh, dedicated the temple to God 200 years earlier. So he says, I'm going to send couriers out all throughout the land and I'm going to invite them to come in. And you know what happened to the couriers? The people up in the north, they just mocked them and said, are you, we're not going to come. We can't stand you people. And so they mocked them, but some people came. Matter of fact, a, a good amount of them ended up coming. And they came down in multitudes and, and, they, and they showed up here. He shows tremendous compassion, everybody, and compassion is not easy. 
If you walk out of here today and you're like, oh man, that's a nice sermon, then I have totally blown my job today. There's nothing nice about this sermon. This sermon is more nasty than it is nice, okay? Because to show compassion to somebody who is your rival or that you hate is really hard to do. And this is what he does. He breaks all of his own personal rules and he reaches out and he does this. And man, it's hard. So compassion is not easy. This past week, I had something happen to me. I, I, um, I ride my bike here a lot of days, right? So I come on the bike path. I live near the bike path. And so I can ride on the bike path. And I always am listening to a book or a lecture on my way. And I was listening to a fantastic book, The Science of Compassion. And man, I was like, this information is phenomenal. It's coming out of Stanford, all the science of compassion. I mean, I just felt like compassion was just bubbling all over me, okay? I just felt so good. It was just so fantastic. And I got up not too far from here, uh, intersection of George Mason and Wilson Boulevard on the path. And I see this couple and they're, and they're walking. And so I, uh, I ring the bell, ding, ding, and, you know, go past. And, and uh, I don't know this couple, but she screams out. I don't know them, but I, for some reason, I think her name might have been Karen. And she, she screams out, all your love. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So what did I do as I'm just filled with so much compassion in that moment, right? I slammed on the brakes. And I turned around. And I got to be honest with you. My first thought was I'm just going to beat the daylights out of her husband. I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry. That's terrible. I know it's terrible. I'm just, it was a brief thought, but it did pass through. Okay, pass through. But then after I kind of got control of myself, remember I'm listening to the book on compassion. I just said, I just said, and I rang the bell again just to show, I, I rang it twice. I, I, I rang it twice. And they're like, oh, the husband was like, yeah, yeah, no, no problem, whatever. And so anyway, everything, everything worked out. But what I'm trying to tell you is I did not feel like doing that. I felt like doing something else, right? So I had to break, I had to break my own rule. I had to, had to break my own rule to be compassionate and do something I didn't feel like doing. That was very, very difficult for me to do. Now, Hezekiah here invites all of these people from the north to come in. Hated rivals. And he ends up breaking God's rules. And is that okay with God? Look what happens. The people come streaming into Jerusalem from the northern kingdom, and they're totally unprepared. You, you need to know this too. It has always been the people from the northern kingdom. They were the ones, seeing, like Jesus has talked about, oh, can anything good come from Nazareth? Maybe you've read that verse about Jesus before. Because that's from the north. Like the true Bible people, they're from the south, right? So all along, these people from the north, they're not real people as far as Bible goes. So he invites them, all right? So this is what it says in Second Chronicles 30. For a majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Iskar, and Zebulon. All right, let's just, <laughs> all these names. My gosh, John. Okay, that, all that is saying is the people from the northern kingdom. Just giving lots of names, okay? But they're all the northern kingdom. They had not cleansed themselves. Uh-oh. Yet they ate the Passover otherwise than as prescribed. Prescribed where? Prescribed right here in the letter of the law. So here you got their hated rivals. First thing Hezekiah's done is he's broken his own rules, can't stand them, and he invites them to come in. Come on, let's celebrate together. And then they have the 
goal to show up breaking God's word, the letter of the law, and are unprepared to celebrate the Passover. Now, this is terrible. It's ridiculous. What is Hezekiah going to do? So, for Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers. And even though not according to the sanctuary rules of cleanliness, wow, and the Lord heard Hezekiah and he healed the people. Okay, let me just break that down in case you didn't catch it. Hezekiah is outright breaking the letter of the law. So that these people who've come in totally unclean can celebrate the Passover. And he has got the goal himself to actually talk to God about it. And say, hey, go ahead and receive them in even though the letter of the law says, no, no, no. He's breaking the rules and he's asking God to participate in it. And God says, you know what? I am going to participate in it. And God turns around and heals them. Everybody, what breaks out is what is often talked about in church as a genuine spiritual awakening. And I want to draw your attention right now to why it happens. It happens because he's willing to break the rules in the letter of the law. And there must be a law that's higher than the letter of the law. It's kind of like what Paul says in his writings, right? The letter of the law kills, but the spirit brings life. Galatians, Paul says the only thing that matters is love, is faith expressing itself in love. And the greatest thing is love. When Paul tells us about Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. He says, against those things, there is no such law. And all throughout the Old Testament, it says, God says, I'm going to write my laws on your heart. There appears to be a law above this law. And that law seems to be compassion and love. And God is willing to break it. There's a very interesting scene in the beginning of the book of Exodus. Very strange. Now, we're all familiar with the famous Ten Commandments, right? You don't have to be a church person to at least heard of the famous Ten Commandments. One of the commands is don't lie. Very straightforward. It's a very short command. Don't lie. Got it. Isn't it weird that in the book of Exodus, where we have the Ten Commandments, that the whole book begins with a lie? So what you have is Pharaoh says to the midwives, when the Israelite women are giving birth, go ahead and kill the babies. And they defy Pharaoh and they lie to Pharaoh and they don't kill the babies. And God says, I think this is so awesome that you lied to Pharaoh that I'm going to bless you abundantly. There appears to be a law above the written law. And until we're ready to kind of break our own laws of unforgiveness and hardness and they're different from me and, you know, until we're willing to do that, we won't experience this incredible awakening. Let me tell you what happens here. They have such a phenomenal spiritual awakening. The Passover celebration every last seven days. So it's a seven-day-long church service. Now, you've got droves of people coming in from the north in Jerusalem. That means they're coming into your home, right? They're out on your front lawn. They're eating and barbecuing and messing the whole place up. And they're going using your bathroom. And I mean, you have to house them. That was just the rule of hospitality back then. It's a total mess. Not only do you not like them, but they've moved into your house. And they have had such a good time for seven days. At the end of seven days, as you know what, this is so awesome. Let's do this seven more days. 14-day long church service. How long can you go to church? 
Do you think you can make it 14 days? They couldn't get enough. They wanted more. Like, this is awesome. 14 days. And then everybody, they leave Jerusalem, head back up north to their area, and they tear down all the altars to all these gods along the way. And again, all those gods do nothing but oppress and cause suffering and pain. It's the same stuff you and I go through today, okay? Then they go and they start tearing them down out of the goodness of their heart that God put in their heart out of love and out of compassion. If you want to experience a spiritual awakening, you'll have to break some rules. I think it's fascinating what is said at the end of all this. It says, God hears Hezekiah's prayer and he heals. He heals. Here's where healing happens. You know what? When we're willing to cross the line and in the name of love and compassion begin to break those rules out of love and compassion, when we elevate the spirit of the law above the letter of the law, that is the atmosphere for healing. In a few moments, we're going to have communion. And I, I, I just believe that today that if we, it's not easy. It is not easy to show compassion. But if we will say, you know what? I want to, I want to move in that direction. I believe this is the atmosphere for healing. Healing from our hurt, our pain, our trauma, our suffering. Healing in our relationships. Healing in our physical bodies. Healing in our relationships. You know, all those things. God wants to do. This is where, when you create that atmosphere, when you say, you know what? I'm going to break my rules and I'm going to put you above everything else. God does some very, very special things. What if we broke some rules? Well, I'm going to ask the music team if they'll come out. They're going to help me with communion. Uh, And as they do, I am going to read you a famous passage from the Bible that has a lot to do with communion. And I think it's been radically misunderstood. This is what it says. This is Paul speaking or writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, check that out, will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now, um, don't raise your hand. But I wonder how many of us, I have, been in a church following the name of God Almighty, the name of compassion, Yahweh. That's what God's name means. And it comes communion time, the most sacred moment that the Christian community has had for the past 2,000 years. Communion, God's very presence. And you heard some variation of this. Thank you for being here today. Some of you cannot take communion. And the some of you that cannot take communion are those of you who have not repented of your sins and proclaimed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I bet a lot of us have. And in that moment, in that moment, like when we have this opportunity to bring everybody together in the name of love and compassion, we're like, no, you, you got to stand away. Now, First Corinthians, what is it really about? It's talking to a group of Christians who are acting in non-compassionate ways, anti-compassionate ways. Read the story. It's really clear. They're doing what uh, the Ten Commandments says, taking God's name in vain. God's name is compassion. And they were acting in non-compassionate ways. And they were taking God's very name in vain. Everybody, what do you see Hezekiah doing is inviting people 
who had not prepared themselves according to the letter of the law, but they had come seeking God. And Hezekiah's like, God, don't let them go away without experiencing your love. What if we, what if we could create a community that elevated the spirit of the law, the spirit of God's name above the letter of the law, like Paul is urging us to do, like Hezekiah does? Could we become a community that's then filled with healing? I, a uh, number of years ago, I had somebody send me, uh, actually two different people, two different people. It happened all in the same week as well. I'll never forget it. And they sent me, one person sent me this video of a, of a church service, mega church, big mega church. And everything they talked about was in one perspective, a social, political perspective, just hard, hard. Like you don't go to that church unless you share that view. You know what I'm saying? And then somebody else sent me another mega church sermon. They loved it. And it was the opposite perspective. So what you have is you have a divided kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And you don't cross, you don't cross. Everybody, unless you can, in the name of love, begin to create an environment like Hezekiah did and it ended up avoiding suffering, ended up bringing healing until we make that decision. What if we did this? What if we did this? What if we put love in the name of God above the letter of the law and we were willing to break our own rules and willing, willing to say, you know what, God, you have laws that are above the written law. Like God says over and over his word. Until we're willing to do that, we will not, will not, will not, will not experiencing the healing power of God in our midst. Hezekiah does it and everything changes. I would love for Grace Community Church to get real serious about doing that. And today, as we celebrate communion, if you'll take this, now be careful. I want to make sure that the bread is on top, everybody, or you're going to have some user error and spillage. And here's what I want you to think about. It's going to be really hard. It's really, really, really hard in order for us to break our own personal rules, cross the line, put a back seat on our own perspective and say, God, your love and your compassion I'm going to follow the example of Hezekiah. I'm going to believe for you to do something. That's going to be very hard to do. But God is here in our midst and he wants to help us to do it. He wants to help us to do it. And if it's not going to happen in a church that bears the name of God Almighty, where will this happen? So as I pray, I want to encourage you to have a serious conversation with God about what is God calling you to do? How is God calling you to cross some lines, to be willing to listen, to be willing to mend some relationships, to be willing to not speak so quickly and make your point, but just reach out and love somebody else so that healing can happen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, Thank you so much for your word. It's so challenging, really challenging. Lord, you, as your word says, you are with us in an exceptional way when we celebrate communion. This is your body. This is your blood. You have given your lover. While we were still your enemies, you died for us for our sins. 
while we were still your enemies, you gave your life for us. God, may your spirit fill us and help us, Lord, to be the people you are calling us to be, a healing community, not a divided community, a community that's united by your body and by your blood and by your love. Bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup. In Christ's holy name, amen. Let us take and eat together.